My name is Brian Kinsey, and I'm the pastor of First Pentecostal Church in Pensacola. I'm delighted that you're listening to this message, and I hope it blesses your life. If you'd like to submit a prayer request, or if you're interested in a personal Bible study, you can call us at 850-477-1100, or send us an email at firstpent at firstpent.org. We hope. Oh, lift up your hands to the Savior. God, we exalt you. We feel your great presence this morning. Oh, what a good Savior. What a good God that we have. Are you thankful to be in the presence of the Lord this morning? Clap those hands unto God. We honor you, Jesus. God, we worship you. Lord, you are so great and greatly to be praised. Well, it feels good in God's house today. So glad that all of you are here, and I'm especially glad to be here, my wife, Miranda, and myself. Glad to be back, feeling the goodness of the Lord. There's just no telling what God's going to do in this service this morning. I know you're already right in the middle of worshiping God, feeling His goodness, and we're going just to, con to continue into God's presence by ministering His Word and allowing Him to work in this service. Can you say amen? And uh, we honor, highly respect Brother and Sister Kenzie and miss them in their absence today. We pray for them. We know that God is with them wherever they are and that He is here with us, sustaining us and helping us. And uh, we're going to just continue to have revival. And uh, all the ministry, uh, the Strobels and Staffords. And I saw Brother Jirai walking around here somewhere. And Brother Knowles, thank you for doing a great job leading and teaching this morning. And thank God for good people. And uh, Sister Elaine helped us, made sure everything was right for us. And I appreciate that. And so... We're right in the middle of this moment, and let's just see what God will do. Praise God. We're reading from John chapter 1 this morning. John chapter 1 this morning. John chapter 1 and verse... I'm going to start with verse number 26. John chapter 1 and verse 26. If you have that, say amen. And John answered them, saying, I baptize with water, but there standeth among you whom you know not. He it is who coming after me is preferred before me, whose shoes latchet I am not worthy to unloose. These things were done in Bethabara beyond Jordan, where John was baptizing. The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him, and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Pray with me. Father, thank you for a great congregation to minister to. God, touch their hearts in only the way that you can. Allow me to minister under the anointing of the Holy Ghost. Lord, save many people today. Fill us with your spirit. God, allow people to be baptized in Jesus' name. Save, deliver, heal the sick, deliver the captives, recovering of sight to the blind in the name of Jesus Christ. 
Everybody say with a loud voice, in Jesus' name. God bless you. Please be seated. Thank you for standing to honor the word of the Lord this morning. I want to preach to you from John chapter 1 and verse 29. Behold the Lamb. Behold the Lamb. And um, again, what an honor to be with you. Uh, to say that we honor and respect the Kinseys is really an understatement. These are giants of the faith. And I only know a very few extremely uh, studious scholarly people, and I consider Brother Kinsey to be one of those few, and I just esteem to be like these sort of men. I pray that uh, God would allow that. I just want people like this to rub off on me and to impact me. Praise God. But let's uh, do our best this morning to follow the Lord. In John chapter 1, 29, the scripture said, Behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sins of the world. And uh, I want God to do that this morning, take away someone's sins. I want him to save someone and to deliver someone. <coughs> I was moved sometime back reading the autobiography of Mark Twain, the famous American writer. And in his autobiography, there was a portion that he said, uh, my daughter, who died at an early age, 24 years of age, was the apple of my eye. And I was so saddened by her passing. But when she was 14 years old, she wrote a biography of sort about me. Of course, Mark Twain already being a notable figure at that time in her life, she began to write her own words about her father from inside the house, living with him. And her words were much more affectionate than what the media and the press would casually say about him. And she said, he's a handsome man. The features of his face are just about right for the most notable people. He has a great sense of humor. Our life is enjoyable. And she went on just to put on heavy praise on her father, not knowing that her mother would see uh, the hidden text and show it to him very shortly. And he said, I rejoiced at reading what my daughter had written. And he said, now that I'm old and writing my autobiography, he said, I want to include the pages that she wrote in my autobiography. Now he said, her, spirit, her spelling was less than desirable. As a matter of fact, it was obvious that she could not spell very well. He said uh, her vocabulary was struggling. Her grammar was terrible. But he said, the words are gold to me, and they've touched my heart. He said, I refuse to change one word. I'm presenting the text inside my book with all the errors included. I thought about that, how God is so faithful. Mark Twain being one of the masterful writers of history, but we serve a God who is the master. And he looks at our lives with such compassion and with such love. I'm not saying that he takes joy in overlooking our sinful deeds, but 
There is no doubt that he looks at our lives as we stumble and bumble through the years of our lives, that he has to smile and say, well, that's just Dennis. That's just John. And maybe that's why he included the faults of biblical heroes, because he refused to whitewash that. All of, our, all of us get into situations that must make the Lord smile at times. I'm talking about the mercy and the kindness of a God this morning. We make mistakes sometimes that are not sin. Sometimes we just uh, spend too much and there's not enough at the end of the month and he has to bail us out. Sometimes we say the wrong thing out of ignorance. Sometimes we put our foot in our mouth. Somebody say amen. God is revealed to us through the scriptures in many facets. Some say that there are over 1,200 titles of God, depending on how you categorize them and number them. But we know there are very many titles to God. I want to explore some of them this morning. If you start in Genesis, we know that in Genesis, he was the seed of the woman. Exodus, he was the Passover lamb. Leviticus, he was the high priest. Numbers, he was the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. Deuteronomy, he was the prophet likened to Moses. Joshua, he was the captain of our salvation. Judges, he was our judge and our lawgiver. In Ruth, he was the kinsman redeemer. First and second Samuel, he was a trusted prophet. Kings and Chronicles, he was an ever reigning king. Ezra, Nehemiah, he was the rebuilder of the broken down walls of human life. In Esther, he was Mordecai. In Job, he was our ever-living redeemer. In Psalms, he's our shepherd. In Proverbs, in Ecclesiastes, he's our wisdom. In Song of Solomon, he was the bridegroom. In Isaiah, he was the prince of peace. In Jeremiah, he was the righteous branch. Lamentation, he was the weeping prophet. Ezekiel, he's the four-faced man. Daniel, he was the fourth man in life's fiery furnaces. Hosea, he was the faithful husband. Jonah, he was the great missionary. Obadiah, he was the mighty to save. Micah, he's the avenger of God's elect. Nahum, he's the messenger with beautiful feet. Habakkuk, he was the evangelist. Zephaniah, he's the savior. Haggai, he's the restoration. Zechariah, he was the fountain. And in Malachi, he was the son of righteousness, arising with healing in his wings. Oh, hallelujah. In Matthew, he's the Messiah. Mark, he's the wonder worker. Luke, he's the son of man. John, he's the son of God. Acts, he's the Holy Ghost in fire. Romans, he was our justifier. First and second Corinthians, he was our sanctifier. Galatians, he's the redeemer from the curse of the law. Ephesians, he's the unsearchable riches. Philippians, he's the God who supplies all of your needs according to his riches and glory. In Colossians, he's the fullness of the Godhead bodily. First and second Thessalonians, he's our soon coming king. First and second Timothy, he's the mediator between God and man. In Titus, he's our faithful pastor. Philemon, he's the friend that sticks closer than a brother. In Hebrews, he's the blood of the everlasting covenant. In James, he's our great physician. In first and second Peter, he's our chief shepherd. In first and second and third John, he is love. In Jude, he's the Lord coming with 10,000 of his saints. And in Revelation, he's the 
King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the Alpha, the Omega, which is and was and is to come, the Almighty God. I'm talking about a God who fills all facets of our lives. Whatever you need today, he is that, and he is that for you and for your family. Come on and let's give God a great ovation. Hallelujah. He said, I am that I am. But it was in Revelation 5 that I want to draw attention to this morning. Because while God is referred to in so many instances by so many different titles, some of them so contrasting, he said, I'm the root of David, but yet the bright and the morning star. Something so differently, but God says, I'm all of these things. But in Revelation 5, he said, I am the lion of the tribe of Judah, the only one who was worthy to open the seals of the books. But immediately we see He's referred to as the Lion of the tribe of Judah, but immediately we see he was the Lamb of God that was slain from the foundation of the world. And for the rest of chapter 5, he is referred to as the Lamb of God. I recognize that everyone here may not totally understand the symbolic value about the Lamb, but in the Old Testament, you recall and understand at least that... uh, Animal sacrifices were needed to roll the sins of people ahead to the next year. And while they could never totally take away sin, that was a temporary solution. But finally, when Jesus Christ came on the earth, came on the scene, he became that final sacrificial lamb that would take away the sins of the entire world. No longer was it necessary for an animal to be killed over and over again. Isn't that the beauty of the New Testament, that Jesus Christ became that sacrificial lamb, that we no longer have to offer uh, animals as a sacrifice to God, but Jesus came as the sacrifice, a, a substitutionary sacrifice for you and I so that we could be pardoned of our sins and live a victorious life and ultimately be in heaven with our Savior. I'm thankful for that. The understanding and the revelation about the Lamb is progressive through the Scriptures. In Genesis chapter 4, we see that the Lamb was for for sin. God said an animal had to die. Blood had to be shed for sin in Genesis 4. In Genesis 22, it became for an individual. Isaac was the individual in Genesis 22. In Exodus, it was for Exodus 12, it was for a family when they put the blood on the doorpost. In Leviticus, it was for an entire nation, the nation of Israel. In Isaiah 53, the lamb was for the elect people of God. In 1 John chapter 1, the lamb was for the entire world. In Acts chapter 8, it was for whosoever will. 1 Peter 1, it was for all of history. For Revelation 5, it was for all the universe. And in Revelation 21 and 22, it was for all eternity. And so we progressively learn about the Lamb of God, the value of the Lamb of God in our lives. And therefore, when Jesus Christ finally comes on the scene, John the Baptist looks upon him and with his eyes fastened on him says, Behold, the Lamb of God which takes away the sins of the entire world. This is finally the most perfect Lamb, the Lamb of God. 
And I think sometimes we miss the significance of John chapter 1 and what the preacher was saying when he said, Behold the Lamb of God. Look upon him. There he is. But the stark contrast that we see in Revelation 5 is mind-boggling because Isaiah 31 and 4 claims that God is like a lion. He said, I will destroy. There are times when we serve a fierce and violent God. And there is no more fierceness and there is no more violence than when we attribute that to God Almighty because He has all power in heaven and in earth. We serve a fierce and mighty God. Hosea 5 and 14 says, I will be unto Ephraim as a lion, as a young lion unto the house of Judah. And Job says, He has hunted me as a lion with all that fierceness. I want to think about him for a moment as the lion. Matter of fact, the Bible even said about us in Proverbs 28 and 1 that we should be like a lion. The wicked flee when no man pursues, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. The scripture says the wicked run from their own shadow, but the people of God, with the confidence of their Lord, are as bold as a lion. The wicked run and hide in the darkness, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. I tell you what, I want to have that attribute. I want to have that boldness as, as a lion. I don't want to back down in the face of adversity. I don't want to hunker and hide in the face of difficulty. But I want to see my God do exploits and great miracle signs and wonders, even as he did for the prophets of old, even as he did for Elijah and Elijah, the feeding the prophets of Baal. I want to stand in the face of adversity and say, we serve a mighty God, and he will throw down the altars of every false God and every evil way. He will trample underfoot. Oh, the wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. I'm preaching to some saints of God this morning just by looking at you. I know there's not any backup in your heart. I know that you're, you're going to keep pressing forward forward because you are as bold as a lion. That doesn't make you arrogant. That doesn't make you mean. That doesn't make you uh, 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 less compassionate, but that means that you have confidence in your God. Hallelujah. The righteous are as bold as a lion. How much more is our God like a lion? Yes, he is. With all the fierceness of a lion. The lion. When I think about the destructive power of God, I'm, I'm always moved. During Hezekiah's day, the army came against him. And through his prayers, the angel of the Lord smote 185,000 soldiers overnight. 
sweeping through with such hostility and might. Over and over through the scripture, the enemies of God were trampled underfoot. Many times in an act of hostility that's hard to imagine coming from our God. Jude tried to describe it to us. Perhaps someone with the media team can get Jude, verse 1. And Jude said like this, Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ, the brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God, Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ and called, mercy, peace, and love be multiplied unto you. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered to the saints. For certain men have crept in unaware who were of old ordained unto this condemnation. Ungodly men, turning the grace of God into lasciviousness, denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore I put you in remembrance, though you once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved his people out of the land of Egypt, afterwards destroyed them that believed not, even as Sodom and Gomorrah, other cities round about, that gave themselves over to fornication, going after strange flesh, he had set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Yet Michael the archangel, when contending with the, about the body of Moses, durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke thee. But these speak evil of those things which they know not. But the things which they know naturally, as brute beasts, in those things they corrupt themselves. Woe unto them that have gone after the way of Cain, and ran greedily after the heir of Balaam for reward, and perished in the gainsaying of Korah for their spots in your feast with charity, when they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear. Clouds are they without water, carried about of winds, trees whose fruit has withered, without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by the roots, raging waves of the sea, foaming out of their own shame, <laughs> wandering stars to whom is reserved blackness of darkness forever. And Enoch prophesied these sayings, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousand of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of their ungodly deeds which the ungodly sinners have committed against him in their hard speeches these are murmurs and complainers. Their mouth speaks great swelling words, having men's person and admiration because of advantage. But, beloved, remember you the words that were spoken before of the apostles and our Lord Jesus, how that they told you in the last times there would be mockers who walk, speak after their own lust. These be they that separate themselves, sensual, not having the spirit. But, beloved, build up yourself in your most holy faith. Pray in the Holy Ghost. Keep yourself in the love of God, looking unto the mercy of our Lord. Oh, hallelujah. Some having compassion make a difference, but others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. Now unto him that's able to keep you from falling and present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty and dominion both now and forever. Amen. When I read the book of Jude, I cannot help but be startled. I cannot help but be taken back. The Bible says that even as Sodom and Gomorrah 
set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Shouldn't we all pay heed to the fierceness of God when he, like a lion, would pounce upon his prey? I thought about a whole city, two cities, and the Bible said the small cities that surrounded that area were all consumed. And in Genesis, when, when Lot escaped, his wife was destroyed. But when Lot escaped, and he went a day's journey up into a higher elevation, and the next morning when the sun rose, Lot looked over that low area of Sodom and Gomorrah and the Bible said it was like smoke from a furnace, a cauldron that was still burning overnight. I'm preaching this morning about the fierceness of our God. And the scripture said, behold the goodness and the severity of our God. We as the people of the Lord need to recognize the might and the power of our God because when we find ourselves on the other side, we can be destroyed by the fierceness of our God and ultimately it has been established in his book and in heaven that all those who have not received the Holy Ghost been baptized in Jesus name will suffer a fate even worse than that of the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah I'm preaching to somebody this morning hear this preacher hear this man of God let something shake you let something startle you you need the love of God you need the mercy mercy of God, lest you fall in the wrong category of unbelievers. You might convince yourself that you're a good person. You might convince yourself otherwise, but I want to tell you, it's not worth taking a chance on it. You need to make sure that you're right with God this morning. Make sure, come on, and make your calling and election sure. Behold the Lamb. He's here. Every springtime, many newborn lambs dotted the countryside in the Holy Land. They were the pride and joy of every family. Every household was to take a lamb, the best lamb, the male without blemish of the first year. The lamb was observed and examined for three days, slain. And the sacrifice was to be brought to the priest where he could examine it before the lamb was slain. This morning I'm preaching that Jesus is our Passover lamb. He was examined by the people for three years. He was announced to be without spot or blemish. The only person ever to be without spot or blemish. He fulfilled the typology of the Old Testament lamb offering before the priest. And after being examined for three days... The person finally would bring the lamb to the priest to be re-examined. And when finally the priest would approve the lamb, he would say, Behold, this is the lamb. This is the sacrificial lamb, the one that's been approved. I want to tell you, when John said, Behold the lamb, behold, the word behold means to gaze upon, to look closely at. Behold, examine, if you will, the Lamb of God. He was not just announcing that he was there present, but he was also challenging those there to examine the Lamb one more time. 
John is saying, behold the lamb, examine the lamb. He is spotless. He is without blemish. There's a revelation right there. Behold, examine the lamb. When the lamb was brought to the priest by the man, by the family, this is a word for somebody right here. You see, you thought when you came in the house of God, you would be examined. You thought that you would be put to the test, that all eyes would be on you this morning to see if you were worthy to come to church, to see if you were worthy to come to an altar. But I want to tell you, the understanding that the Lamb of God brings into our life is to say this, that it was the Lamb that was examined, not the people who brought the Lamb. The people who brought the Lamb willingly, they were not forced to bring it, but out of their own heart of gratitude, they brought the best thing that they owned to the man of God. And they said, we are sacrificially giving to God. We may not be perfect. Our personality might not be the right personality. We might not be from the right culture or the right social economic group. But I want to tell you, we're bringing the best thing we've got. They feared that they might be examined, but I want to tell you they were so relieved to understand that it was the lamb that was under examination. Behold the lamb. This is the one that is offered. I want to thank God one more time that it was not my good works that got me through the door. It was not my IQ level. It's never been my personality, and God knows it's not my good looks, but it's only the sacrificial lamb that takes away the sins of the entire world. Behold the lamb. Examine the lamb this morning. Oh God you see our imperfections. God you see our failures our fault and yes God you even know about our sins but this morning we're thankful all over again for the precious blood of Jesus Christ that takes away the sins of the entire world. First Peter 1 went on to say it's never been by the blood of bulls and goats. It's not by corruptible things such as silver and gold. But in 1 Peter 1 and 19, he said it's only because of the precious blood of Jesus Christ. It's only because of the precious blood of Jesus Christ. I want to tell you that gives me hope this morning. That gives you hope this morning. No matter how tragic your life has been, God can turn it around. God can make a person a reputation out of you. God can restore your life. God can give you a new occupation, even though you've ruined 20 before this. When the precious blood of Jesus Christ is applied to your life, you become a new creature in Christ Jesus. I wonder, are you thankful for the precious blood of Jesus Christ this morning? Behold the goodness and the severity of our God. In the same 
same mind-boggling way I step back at the severity of God when I read about Sodom and Gomorrah. At the same way I'm startled by these amazing facts and truths. I'm just as equally startled by the mercy of God who's delivered somebody like me from a sinful world. I want to tell you... You might have a hard time comprehending the judgments of God, but what I really have a hard time comprehending is the mercy of God. God set me free. He set you free. He set these young people free. He set every elder free. It's by the precious blood of Jesus Christ that we're able to be here this morning. For our righteousness was as filthy rags. But the devil's been beating you up. I know you're not perfect. And I'm not trying to say you should stop trying. But I'm saying you got to give it your best. We know what happened to those unbelievers who departed from the faith according to the book of Jude. I just quoted the whole book to you. You understand what the theme was. But oh, I want to tell you about the kindness of our God. The difference is, are you covered by the blood of the Lamb? I'd like to tell you, I've known this my whole life, but I can tell you, it hit me like a ton of bricks all over again not too long ago when I realized that the only examination would be for the lamb. Sure, I've got to do right. I've got to obey the scriptures. But when I come to the altar with my hands lifted up, God's not looking for a way to judge me, but he's looking for a way to forgive me. When I come to the altar, there's nobody else in the room criticizing me. That's the lie of the devil. But they're all praying for me, asking God to help me. The enemy tries to tell you that your family is going to make fun of you for coming to the altar, but that's a lie from the devil. They've been praying for you to come to the altar for years and decades. You may not know the proper Pentecostal protocol yet, but you just do everything you know to magnify God. It's not you that's under examination. It's the lamb that's under examination. Behold the lamb. As a matter of fact, I think it's a mighty proud and boastful person that thinks they're worthy for an examination. Friend, you're not even worthy to be examined. The Lamb is the only one capable of stepping up. And in Revelation 5, it said nobody is able to open the book except, come on, our God. Hallelujah. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah. But behold, I turned around, and it was the Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world. Clap your hands if you're thankful for the Lamb of God. Hallelujah. Be seated. Recently, my pastor told me about a man. Maybe you heard about him. He... He did good on his job, and his company afforded him some benefits. And one of those benefits was a trip anywhere he wanted to go. 
And the man said, I've always wanted to take a safari to Africa and to go hunting. And so he made the trip and he arrived at the guide's office and the people tried to instruct this amateur hunter about the truths of hunting in a real jungle where sometimes the hunter can become the hunted. And they told him, we're going to take you and put you in a blind in a higher elevation than the pasture. You'll be able to see all kind of wildlife and deer and gazelle, many species. But they said, if you ever see a lion, everything changes. You'll be out there alone. The guides will walk you to the blind, but they're leaving in their vehicle. And they made this remark, never take your eyes off the lion. Sure enough, several days hunting, he was enjoying the view and the deer, gazelle. And one faithful day, he spotted a real live lion. His heart began to beat ferociously. He remembered, keep your eyes on the lion. Fear gripped his heart for his life, thinking that the lion sensed him and knew where he was. He rose up from his blind with great caution, looked through his scope, but he was so nervous when he pulled the trigger, he did not hit his target. Immediately, the lion darted to the distance, disappeared. The deer and the gazelle shot as if from a cannon in all direction and began to run, startled. This man, now not knowing what to do, he couldn't see the lion anymore. But he knew the lion knew where he was. That heart kept pounding, hands, palms, sweaty. Several minutes passed, seemed like decades, no doubt. Praying under his breath, trying to be deathly still. And in a moment, From behind his back, a disturbance, a rustling. It's too close for him to turn around to pull up his rifle in time. But as he looks back, fully expecting a full-grown lion to pounce on him, What he sees is a wounded deer that had recently been wounded by the lion before he became distracted. And it had crawled over behind him, began to rustle in the bushes, and the bleeding doe, deer, 
cow, gazelle. Bleeding for its life behind him. What he thought was his destruction when he turned around was a helpless, broken animal. And this morning, though you came expecting to be beaten with a baseball bat by the judgments of God, and probably some of us deserved it, but when we turned, we were not pounced upon, but we saw the Lamb of God that was slain from the foundation of the world. And those of us who deserve death and destruction have to reckon with the mercy of God. It's so beautiful. Oh, God. I wonder, are you grateful this morning? Behold the Lamb of God that takes away this morning, when I give the altar call, it will be for whosoever will. No matter how dark your life has been, the altar belongs to you. No matter how many times you've stumbled and fallen down, no matter how many times you've let addiction rule your life, you're not under examination, but it's the Lamb of God that's been examined on your behalf. He's been beaten. He's been bruised. He's been marched through the street carrying his cross upon his back. He was hung on Mount Calvary and crucified so that you and I could go free. I wonder, would you stand with me this morning? Behold the Lamb of God. In the New Testament, certain Greeks came to Philip and said, Sir, we would see Jesus. We didn't come to see any celebrity. We didn't come to see any politician. We came to see Jesus at the house of God. Behold, I present to you the Lamb of God this morning. Come on. With my lack of vocabulary, I've done my very best to articulate what I feel in the Holy Ghost is the will of God. I present to you Jesus Christ. And if you walk out of this room and do not avail yourself of the Lamb of God, you will face the lion of the tribe of Judah one day. I want to tell you this morning, if you don't have enough sense to meet the lamb on a Sunday morning, you're going to meet the lion on the day of judgment. I'm preaching this morning. You've got to make a move. You've got to respond to God. He's the lamb. He's still the lamb today, but there's going to be a day very shortly that he will become the lion who is fierce and who is destructive and who will devour and break down all enemies. I'm telling you right now, you want to meet him as the Lamb of God. You want to meet him as the Lamb of God. Hear me, hear me, hear me. I know you got to go. But hear what I'm saying. Let me just come back here in amongst somebody. How far is it? Even from toward the back, it's only 17 steps to the altar. Maybe we can't all come due to social distancing, but hear me. If you need the lamb, all of hell could not stop you. I'd hate to know that I was 17 steps from the lamb. 
the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. You don't want to die on the highway and instantly meet the lion. You don't want to die in the backside of a gutter in a bar room and meet the lion. You want to meet the lamb at the house of God. And David said to Jonathan, his beloved friend, I am but a step away from death. And the truth of the matter is, all of us are only a step away. Is it going to be the lamb or will it be the lion? The sad truth is, we will make that decision this morning. The lamb of God is at the altar. But on the day of judgment, he might be the lion that breaks down and devours. I'm opening this altar. I'm asking the worship team to come. Come on, with eyes closed and hands lifted up. Come on, I need an intercessor to begin to pray. Come on. There's a lot of people that need to be at the altar right now. If you brought a family member, if you brought a friend, you need to come with them to the altar. You may not understand it, but you need to receive God's forgiveness. Behold the Lamb of God. Behold the Lamb of God. He's here right now. Come on, behold the Lamb of God. Behold the Lamb of God. Behold the Lamb of God. Come on, there's too many people left in the pew. Somebody needs to come right now. There should be a heart lifted up. There should be some tears streaming down your cheeks right now. Come on and give it all you got right now. We hope you enjoyed this message. Please reach out to us if you have any questions. We can be found at firstpent.org. That's F-I-R-S-T-P-E-N-T dot org. If you're ever in Pensacola, Florida, we hope you visit us. Be blessed in Jesus' name.